So I want to reflect back though. Uh, maybe when you get older, you start thinking more about your childhood and you start looking for ways to reinvent your childhood. Um, but I grew up, you know, before technology and there was lots of snow. So we had like three months in the winter where you couldn't do much of anything. And so you grew up playing cards. How many of you grew up playing cards? All right. I haven't played probably in 25 years, but I mean, I grew up playing hearts and spades and pinochle and rook and my mom played canasta and all these, all these card games, um, rummy, gin, uh, what else was there to do for hours and hours on end? And then I got to thinking the other thing we did was always practical jokes because you had all kinds of hours to create them and to figure it out. And we would do practical jokes in the family, in the, outside the family, but somebody would always take the practical joke too far. Anybody? Were you that person? That it was funny the first time, but then you went way too far. Well, it happened to me once, and I was, I was getting ready to play cards, and somebody had glued my entire deck of cards together. They were one solid block. I said, I just can't deal with this. <clears throat> All right, let's move on. I told you when we started First and Second Corinthians that Paul was, uh, was going to give, give you a beatdown. Um, but it's an interesting beatdown because Paul understands their situation. And not all of us fit into this category, but some of us do. Some of you grew up in a strong Christian home, a strong church. Some of you didn't. Some of you grew up, what was said was a Christian home, but really wasn't much evidence of it. Uh, a lot of you didn't grow up in any kind of a Christian home, and that is where these Corinthians are. They grew up totally pagans. They grew up worshiping idols. They thought the, the sexual perversion was all normal. They thought the greed was normal. The idol worship was all normal because everybody around them does it. So why not? So as Paul is teaching them, he understands that he has to unpack all of their old junk to bring them the new stuff. Because until they figure out, no, marriage is not about you out here sleeping with 16 people and prostitutes. No, it is one man and one woman. And so he's got a lot of teaching to do. And here in chapter 2, he gives them what I, what I call a, an ordering board where they get to choose. And he's very positive in this chapter about what they get to choose off of the menu board. Have you, how many of you have ever been to Varsity? in Atlanta or Athens, all right? You, really, only a few of you have been to this fine dining establishment? My goodness. Well, you need to go up to Georgia Tech and um, you get in line, they start screaming at you when you walk in the building. What do you have, what do you have? And, and the whole place is screaming this. And you're 30 people deep in line and every line is 30 people deep. And I was warned that when you get to the front, that guy's gonna say, what do you have one more time? And if you so much as stutter, he will throw you to the back of the line and you go back, am I telling the truth? Am I telling the truth? And then when you get finished eating, your onion rings, your fries, or just so you know, I've been there, they call them strings. And when you finished eating them, there's about that much grease in the bottom of your, yes? Where's my witness? Am I telling the truth? Yeah, all right. All right, 
But you I can't believe you guys haven't been to the varsity. But you get to choose. What do you have? What do you have? And Paul starts off and says to the Corinthians, what do you have? You get to choose. You, here's the menu. You can keep living the way you've been living. But now that you're a Christian, if I were you, I'd start choosing off this menu. Because the one thing I know is that life is nothing more than choices. Now there's a segment of our culture, of the church culture, that says you and I have no choice. That says everything is pre-mandated. You, you have nothing to say about going to heaven or hell. You have nothing to say about your life. That's just ridiculous. Does God know the end of our lives from the beginning? Absolutely, because he's sovereign. So God knows everything about me. He knows every decision I'm going to make. He knows how my story is going to end. But that does not mean he makes them for me. Because he knows what I'm going to I know when my kid reaches up and touches the stove, they're going to get burnt. But I didn't make them do it. That's still their choice. And life itself is a series of choices, even if how you got here. You got hurt along the way. A lot of people have hurt you along the way. You still have a choice now. Will I act in anger, hatred, revenge, or will I accept Jesus and turn this story around? I like what Dave Stone says. Dave Stone said, sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something you love more. Now, isn't that what sin is? You say, well, I don't love sin. Well, of course you love sin. That's why we do it. You pick the sin, whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, wherever, wherever you want to go with sin, okay? Anything, anything, there, there's a love for it. You may hate yourself for loving it, but sacrifice says, no, I love Jesus more than that. So I'm going to make some changes. So if you'll stand with me out of respect for God's word, we will pick this story up uh, <clears throat> we left off where Paul had said there's not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble amongst the church, but God has chosen the foolish things of the, of the world to confound the wise. And then he says this, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the church, mature, speaking to the church, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Did you see that? The wisdom and the rulers of this age are coming to very little. I didn't say that. They're coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, this is from Isaiah, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You can be seated. Okay. 
So for 200, you get to choose. For 200, I'm gonna take hope of eternity. We live in a society where people don't have any hope. And if you really wanna break it down, is why would people spend their whole life drunk? Because they don't have any hope. Why would people spend their whole life high? Why would people want to, in perverted ways, hurt little children? Well, because they have no hope. Why would people steal and rob? And what, Every sin that you can possibly imagine is somebody screaming for hope thinking, <clears throat> if I get this, I'm gonna feel better, and you might for the moment. And then the guilt and the shame and the hatred and the self-loathing, all the other stuff then kicks in. But Paul said, guys, you can choose the hope of eternity. So if you're right now, let's just get right to it. If you're, if you're here in the room, if you're in Deland, if you're in Palm Bay, you're watching at home, you're online somewhere, you can choose that eternal hope right now. You can accept Jesus, you can repent of your sins, you can be baptized, and you can start a brand new life. We had a guy last night said, I'm in. I'm in, I need this Jesus, all right? We've got people out in room three. It's called the guidance point. You go out there online, hit that button, I've decided. Uh, other campuses, go to your campus pastor, but don't go home today without that hope because people drift through life because they don't have it. Now let's break down what he said because I love this quote from Isaiah. I use it in almost every funeral that I do. He says, no eye has seen, your eye can't get it, no ear has heard, your ear can't even hear, hear what's coming, no mind can possibly imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. So you start thinking about heaven, which you should do from time to time. You should sit down and think about how awesome heaven's gonna be. And you're gonna leave, your, your soul's gonna leave your body and go into this other world. I don't know where it is, maybe it's right here, maybe it's up there, I don't know. But it is an unseen world from the physical body. And when we step into that world, you will see Jesus. And we'll see a lot of the great saints who have gone before us. And you'll see friends that have been waiting for you. And you'll see family members. And you'll see the creation of God that he has for us in eternity that is beyond anything we could possibly imagine. You might even see some family members that you didn't think would be there. But Paul said, when you think about it and you imagine it, and when it's everything you could see or hear or imagine, he said, you haven't even begun to start because what God has prepared is so beyond that, you can't even comprehend it. That's hope. That's something we're looking forward to. That's something that's out there that like, yes, I want that, but listen to me. You and I cannot lead the orchestra unless we turn our back to the crowd. And I know this is hard in our society. And I'm 61, I don't care what you think of me, but I look at our high school kids and our middle school kids, even our grade school kids. I work with college men on, Sunday, on uh, Wednesday night. The battle that they have, because everything we believe is counter-cultural. Now, even 50 years ago, who'd have thought? Who would have thought that believing that a man and a woman in marriage is marriage? Nobody would have thought that would be a countercultural move, that transgenderism is insanity. 
that homosexuality is a sin. Who would have thought we would be countercultural for believing that? How about creation? Just the fact that you believe in creation and not evolution. Listen, everything that Christians believe is countercultural. Well, it makes sense because the culture's going one way and we're going the other way. The, our fight for sex trafficking, our, to stop sex trafficking, our fight to end abortion, everything that Christians stand for. But let me tell you something, here's the problem. In Nazi Germany, as Hitler was coming to power, 37, 38, there were 18,000 churches in Germany. 3,000 of the churches were totally in Hitler's pocket. They agreed with everything he was doing. 3,000 opposed, and 12,000 said, we don't want to get involved. So 15 of the 18,000 churches said, we're not going to say anything about the Jews being killed, about the Poles being killed, about all the stuff that's going on. We're just going to meet in our little building, and we're going to have church. We're not going to be involved in what's going on. We're not going to take a stand for where God wants us to stand. Now, here's the truth. If you go to Germany today, all 18,000 of those churches are gone. We're in, we're in huge cities in Germany trying to get one church planted. We're, we're in places, Dusseldorf, Berlin, just trying to get somebody to listen to the gospel because we're now two or three generations down from that, and it's just hard, hard ground and hard, hard hearts. And I just use Germany as an example because it's happened all over the world and it's unfolding here today. And if you and I don't learn that if we want to lead the orchestra, we got to turn our back to the crowd, that Christianity is a counter-cultural religion, it always has been, if we don't get that, then we can't grab that hope of eternity that's there waiting for us. Jesus talking about salvation in Matthew 19. People said, well, how can anybody be saved then? And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Because it took God sending his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross to shed his blood so that mankind could be forgiven. So if you're thinking, well, I, I, I'm not abducting any children and I'm not this. No, you got your own sins, but you're still thinking somehow I'm going to get into heaven because my good outweighs my bad. It doesn't. With man, it is impossible to get into heaven. But with God, all things are possible. But that's not the only thing. I'll, I'll take hope of eternity. I'll take that for 200. I'll take the spirit of God. I'll take that for 200 too. Why is that one important? Well, because people have this erroneous idea that if you don't believe in Jesus, that you're just an empty, vacuous shell, that you're just a physical body wandering around. And that's what atheism thinks. That's what agnostics think. It's what a lot of disconnected Christians think. But the truth, it couldn't be further from that. The reality is this. A spirit is controlling your life. A Holy Spirit or a demonic spirit? There's only two. Now, I'm just telling you how it works. So when you accept Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 2, it says when you repent, you're baptized into Christ. When you come up out of that water, it says, Acts 2.38, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. 
It's not a second act of grace. It's not something you pray for. When you accept Christ and you come up out of the water, you are filled with the Spirit. Just like when Jesus was baptized, Matthew 4, Luke 4, when Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came down on him in a dove. But it is the same idea. And the new Spirit is now taking over. Now, if you've not thought about this, you think about some of the people you know and you go, my goodness, what kind of a spirit is living in them? Some of you have lived long enough to see what used to live inside of you and what now lives inside of you. And there probably was a war going on for a while about who was going to have control, that demonic spirit or the Holy Spirit. shouldn't tell you this story, but it's all right. We were in, when we were in Bangkok, um, we had a situation where we weren't sure what was going on, if we were being kidnapped or, or trying to be extorted or what was going on. Um, but <clears throat> let's just say it, it got rough inside of attacks. That we were, there were some rough words thrown around, and we were prepared for more than words because it was not going well. And um, finally, the guy causing the trouble, our, it was our guy. This was the guy we were paying, which was even worse. He finally gets out of this van taxi that we're in. He closes the door, and I'm telling you, the entire atmosphere in the van changed like that. And somebody in our van said, his spirit didn't like the Holy Spirit that was living inside of us. It was, it was palatable. You could cut the tension. And it, it, there was nothing between us. We were fine. He'd made a lot of money. But... The spirit world was not happy. Listen to me. You get to choose. You want some evil demonic spirit living in you? That's what you get if you don't accept Jesus. By default, listen to me. If you don't choose Jesus, by default, you don't get hope of eternity. By default, you get the demonic spirit. By default, you get your mind and not the mind of Christ, which is where we're going left, left next. So you have to choose to say, no, I want. I want Jesus. I want that spirit that's living in me. And I got to make sure that I listen to the spirit. You're like, well, wh why do I feel bad when I'm watching a movie or listening to words or seeing things that I shouldn't see? That's the Holy Spirit telling you he doesn't want to see those things. So you need to get away from that. Get out of that. Holy Spirit's saying, why are you dragging God into this? And you drag God into a movie or into the bar or wherever you took God. Holy Spirit's not going to like that. So rather than getting mad at God, thank God that you have the Holy Spirit living in you and not a demonic spirit that says, hey, buddy, way to go. Way to go. This was a good, good choice. Ephesians 4 says the spirit, the spirit gives different gifts, some to be apostles, some to be evangelists, some to be teachers, some to be pastors, all for one purpose so that the church of God might be built up to do good works. See, everything God needs is right here. If we need teachers, we got teachers. We need doctors, we got doctors. We need money, we got money. Uh, we need help, we got help. Any, anything that is needed, God's put it here in the church. The spirit has already equipped you. He's equipped us all differently. We were talking backstage about how, you know, <clears throat> we're all sort of geniuses in our own little ways. Now, maybe my path is like this, you know. 
Um, you know, because I'm like, yeah, you, you know, you, you want to know about first century Corinthian archaeology? I'm your guy. And there's a huge line of people wanting to know everything I know about first century Corinthian archaeology. But everybody's been gifted by God in some area. And so you say, okay, the Holy Spirit has given me this gift. I need to use it. I need to use it for him. But listen, you will not make a difference in this world and you cannot lead the orchestra if you're not willing to turn your back to the crowd. The universities are not gonna like us. I get thrown out of every university. They'd laugh me out, they'd shout me down, but that's okay because when I step into eternity, I will not stand before the president of Harvard. I will not stand before the head of CNN or the head of Fox. I will stand in the presence of Jesus Christ, and to him I will give an account of my life. So I don't know what you have to turn your back on, but the last thing I'll take for 200 is the mind of Christ. Because without the mind of Christ, I have my mind, and my mind is a mess. My mind is perverted and evil just like yours. And it's full of anger and it's full of revenge and it's full of hatred. But he said, you and I have been given something very special, the mind of Christ. Now let's look at what Paul said in Philippians. Philippians chapter two, we'll just leave this verse up here for a minute. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. If I just put that up there and you came in and read that and memorized it and left, I think you'd have got a pretty good message today because all of us have got to work on that. Now, remember what I told you. It's like, well, it means everything is love. No, no, Jesus got really mad at things he should have gotten mad at. He didn't sin, but he got very angry at different situations and different people. So you and I need to make sure that our mind lines up with God, that we hate what God hates and that we love what God loves. Make sense? Come on, that's, the, that's what it means to have the attitude of Christ. Now Paul goes on to explain that attitude. Who being in the very nature of God? People say Jesus never called God. Well, the entire Gospel of John, he's, he's called God dozens of times, but this couldn't be much clearer. Jesus being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something for him to hang on to, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant become, being, becoming made as a man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Okay, yeah, I want the hope, I want the spirit, I want the mind of Christ. Okay, so you get the mind of Christ so now you gotta think differently about how you treat your wife, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your dates. You gotta think differently about your sexuality, about your mouth. You gotta think differently about your money, your time. If I have the mind of Christ, then it's no longer my thoughts that matter, but it's his thoughts that matter. And I'm gonna leave you with a line. I'll say it and then we'll say it together and we're done, okay? Eternity's too long to be wrong. All right, you ready? Here we go. Eternity is too long to be wrong. 
So Father, I, I don't know who needs to choose off the menu board differently. And I know, we, some of us came from good backgrounds, some came from bad backgrounds, some came from no backgrounds. And they're trying to figure this all out on the fly. But I thank you that the simplest part is Jesus. I need Jesus. I want hope, not just for this world, but hope for eternity. I don't want a hope that comes to nothing. I don't want wisdom that comes to nothing. I want a hope and a wisdom that prepares me to stand in front of God. I want the spirit of God that changes me and shapes me. I want the mind of Christ that causes me to live like him. So Father, hear our prayer and you make the changes. In Jesus' name, amen.